Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And we've got some traction. We've got some news in Oregon's search for a defensive coordinator. We're going to break all of that down here on the Otson Audibles podcast. But first, I want to remind you, you could be ahead of this news that came out uh Friday afternoon, Friday morning, we're going to discuss it in a public sphere now, um, but privately it's been on our message board uh, for a couple of days now over a week. Um, you can get that information by subscribing to duckterritory.com for $1 for your first two months and then $9.95 thereafter that. And we're starting, Eric, to see some names become public about who are candidates for the defensive coordinator position replacing Andy Avalos, who has been hired by Boise State as their head coach. Um, Bruce Feldman, he reported on Twitter, uh, and I quote, Oregon D coordinator search is heating up. Seahawks assistant head coach Clint Hurt, ex-Texas defensive coordinator Chris Ash, Vols defensive coordinator Derek Ansley, Falcons run game coordinator Tosh Lopai, Mississippi State defensive coordinator Zach Arnett, Georgia co-defensive coordinator Glenn Schumann, Army defensive coordinator Nate Woody are among those are in the mix per source. Um, Feldman also went back and, and reported that former UC defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman was later who was later hired by Notre Dame was someone Oregon was really high on. Ryan Walters, who ended up getting hired by Illinois, has also been in consideration uh, previously for the defensive coordinator job. We reported that Freeman was uh, on duckterritory.com, probably option number one. He was option number one for everybody. We said on the site on duckterritory.com that Oregon had some kind of open dialogue with him early on, but then, you know, a decision hadn't been made by Avalos, no fault to him, uh, just bad timing. And yeah. Freeman took a job at Notre Dame literally the same day that uh, Avalos uh, took a job with Boise State. So just Poor timing there. Ryan Walters was on our list as well um, for our defensive coordinator hot board. And we should also mention um, Zach Arnett and Glenn Schumann and Tosh Lopai, uh, three guys that Feldman has reported being in the mix were coordinators that we mentioned on our hot board um, that, that are in consideration right now. There are other names out there, um, but let's stick with, this Feldman one because it's it's public now. He it's behind, it's in front of a pay. It's not in front of a paywall or anything of that nature anymore. Um, it's free to read. It's on Twitter. He tweeted it out. Your thoughts overall on just what Bruce Feldman is reporting of the Athletic and Fox College Football of these names? Anything stand out to you? I think the thing that maybe stands out most is the absence of uh, USC defensive coordinator Todd Orlando. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a name I would have expected to see tied to this. Um, certainly a name that would make a lot of sense given the history with members of Oregon staff. Mario Cristobal um, worked with Todd Orlando in the past. Todd Orlando 
grew up in the same high school with uh, offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead. So there seemed like there were some some connections there. Interesting, his name's not mentioned. I would imagine that it's still possible that that's a an avenue they go with. You know, sometimes you see these lists come out and and there are names that are omitted, and I don't know if that's intentional or not, or 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 just one source hears something, another source is hearing something else. But I thought that was interesting. Um, I'm always interested in in kind of some of these NFL names that come through here. Um, I mean, we're, Oregon fans are very familiar with Tosh Lupoy, or I don't know how you pronounce it. These Polynesian names are just, they kick my butt just like they kick Matt's butt. But Tosh, Xbox Tosh, that's a name everybody's liked. But the name, I guess, I guess the name that like jumped out to me just because I hadn't really seen it yet was Clint Hurt from yeah. Seattle. Um, does not have defensive coordinating experience, but does have ties to Mario Cristobal. He's one of those Miami guys, um, a little bit younger. I think he played at Miami when Cristobal was a grad assistant there. So there's some ties there. And I think that maybe, maybe they were even on the same staff at some point as well. But like, I, I look at that as a name that was like, huh, I hadn't seen that one yet, but that would be kind of intriguing. And I, I think it's, it, but to me, like a name like that, and this is what we talked about previously, we talked about kind of what the parameters were for a hire that we'd be interested in. Like, I would love to see somebody who's been a defensive coordinator before and somebody who, who has that experience. I think that's important. So like I see a name like that and I go, huh, that's an interesting name. I, I like the connections to uh, Mario Cristobal. But then I look at the rest of these names on here and they've all been defensive coordinators at the collegiate level. Like literally most of these guys have been defensive coordinators in the past year or so. And then you've got a name like Tosh Lapoy, who was a defensive coordinator at Alabama before jumping to the NFL. So like that name jumps out just because he doesn't have that like prerequisite experience that I think to me feels like it's pretty important to have, but at the same time, it's just an intriguing option, I guess, to kind of go a little outside the box here. Um, Matt, like, I know it was reported also that Arnett had interviewed, the Mississippi State defensive coordinator had interviewed with Oregon earlier in this week. Are we thinking that this is like, and I know we kind of targeted end of January as like when this could take place. Like, do we think the fact that Bruce Feldman puts this out here, lists, you know, about half a dozen candidates that this is kind of maybe moving a little quicker than that? Or do you think the fact that there's so many names listed here is sort of signifies that we're still a little bit out and that it still could be maybe late January or maybe even after the February signing period? Well, I was going to say that it helps that this, this one happened so quickly um, after the, the regular season, bowl season, playoff season was over. Um, in terms of Avalos leaving. So Oregon knew, hey, we've got a, an opening and we have three, what, three or four weeks until National Signing Day in February at the time of that happening. So they can take their time. But at the same time, it needs to be done in the earnest, you know, in a, in a quickly manner. They can't just sit here and, and, lollygag around like I would be shocked if if they don't have a hire by national signing day in February um that early February that that would be a a pretty surprising move am I expecting this job to be filled by Monday 
the what 18th no I, I think that would be pretty quickly could it happen sure absolutely it could happen but um we do know arnett has interviewed for the job um and we do know that he didn't walk away from that interview where Oregon staff was like that's him that's the dc that's that's the guy um i'm not saying he's not gonna get hired but at least first impressions from that interview was that they're going to continue looking at other names and maybe that was the plan all along, but we do, we just, all we know is, is he's interviewed and he didn't walk away with the job that could certainly change after evaluating all their options. But that does tell you that, you know, it wasn't best case scenario interview. Hey, this is the guy let's, let's bring him in. Let's not even interview other candidates. Yeah. Um, that's not a bad thing. I'm, I'm just, that's just what we know. Um, I, I do think there are some connections here. Nate, Nate Woody, um, he doesn't have, I don't believe, any connections to uh, Oregon staff right now. Chris Ash is another coach who doesn't have any connections to Mario Cristobal and um, anyone on, on the coaching staff. But I will say that you know we, we do know Tosh has connections. We do know Glenn Schumann has connections. Um, we do know that uh, Zach Arnett has West Coast connections. And then we also know that the, the new name that really is out there, um, Clint Hurt, he has connections. He's, he's actually coached with Mario Cristobal um, at Miami. He's also uh, – Hurt is also a Miami graduate, so that's another person – um, that's got some connections there. And then Derek Ansley, who is currently the defensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titan or Tennessee volunteers. He also coached at Alabama from 2013 to 2015 while Mario Cristobal was there as a line coach slash offensive coordinator. Um, so there are connections to Cristobal um, out there. I do think it's interesting though, Eric, that, Avalos coached outside linebackers. Yep. And some of these guys that are being brought up, um, Clint Hurt coached the D-line. Chris Ash, his background is defensive backs and safeties. Um, he has no history coaching defensive line or linebackers. Um we have Derek Ansley, who has no history of coaching anywhere else outside of defensive backs. Um, Nate Woody is another name that's new that's out there. Um, he has outside inside linebacker experience. He has also DC experience. Um, so we're seeing some some names out there that are DBs, and Oregon already has two DB coaches, which is. A little surprise. This is – I'm not reporting anything, but just maybe reading between the tea leaves here. Um, Keith Hayward has been on the staff a while and has, I think, made it very clear he wants to be a defensive coordinator. It doesn't seem out of the realm of possibilities to me that you bring in a defensive coordinator with who is going to coach defensive backs who replaces Keith Hayward, assuming Keith Hayward is not the new defensive coordinator. You know, I mean, I just – talked about this in the past i just think you know over time if you get passed over for a promotion 
multiple times and you feel like you've you've waited and 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 get you know and put in your due for it and you don't end up with the job that that wears on you and it's frustrating and it's hard and, and honestly it's not an ideal situation for the coaches around you if you're you know unhappy and i'm not putting blame on Keith Hayward, if he if he is discontent with kind of the circumstances, but like I could see a situation where he goes, okay, it's not going to be me. Well, I'm not going to be here if it's not me. And he makes that point clear to Mario Cristobal and the staff, and they go, okay, well, maybe we bring in an assist, you know, a defensive coordinator whose primary focus will be safeties, and we can then go use that spot vacated by Keith Hayward, you know, the other assistant coaching spot to go find an outside linebacker specific coach or we restructure some of this and we have Ken Wilson coach all of linebackers right. or, you know, and, and we have, you know, I mean, there's the, 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 the kind of cool thing about these staffs is you don't have to have them. The, the composition can be different. Um, you can find different creative ways to do this. Um, you can have one defensive backs coach, you know, you could, you know, that was what Oregon did with John Neal for, uh, probably over a decade before the head coaching change with Willie Taggart coming in where he brings in Keith Hayward and then Charles Clark. And then of course the cornerback position has been moving you know, musical chairs for a while, but like I, I could see a scenario here where the fact that you've got a couple of guys who have defensive back experience, Hey, maybe Keith Hayward's going to leave or maybe the expectation is when you bring in one of these defensive coordinators that they're going to be able to fill a, and we didn't see this with Andy Avalos, by the way, but maybe they're going to fill out the staff a little bit more to their liking and they have some people they want to bring with them. I, don't, I mean, again, I'm not reporting this. It's just hypothetical, but like you got a guy like Clint Hurt who, yeah, his background's in defensive line coaching. Maybe that indicates that Joe Salavea won't be retained or that Joe Salavea and Keith Hayward are kind of like-minded that they want this defensive coordinating job. And if they don't get it, that they're going to look elsewhere and that, that those communication, those conversations have already had. And I mean, I, I, we, again, I'm not reporting any of this, but I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if regardless of who the new defensive coordinator is, some of these defensive position groups are going to be coached by different coaches than the ones that have been here for the last couple of years. I just think that makes a lot of sense. And frankly, you see this all the time when you see new coaches come in is that they will bring in some coaches and move, you know, little move stuff around. Maybe they're not comfortable with, the current personnel, maybe they have guys that they like working with. So I think that's something you have to be aware of here. And I think, but really good point, Matt, in terms of just kind of reading between the tea leaves on this list of, Hey, Andy Avalos is the outside linebackers coach. A lot of these guys haven't coached linebackers. I think it's worth asking, is it possible that we see a coach or two who's on the staff, who's coach currently coaching defensive backs, coaching defensive line, maybe not here next year because the new defensive coordinator will be coaching those players in 2021. It's going to be interesting to see <clears throat> what direction they go, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what direction that they go, where they land. And we, we said this from the beginning that, you know, while we don't anticipate, you know, mass changes across the coaching staff, we did say that, you know, Chris Ball, like he does every year, is going to evaluate um, the staff and, that, you know, he's not going to pigeon himself into a position where it's like, hey, you have a, a, a defense coordinator that's left. He coached outside linebackers. I'm only going to hire guys that can coach the outside linebacker position. Right. Um, yeah. And, and that's why, like, 
Eric, I, I think you and I have such good confidence in Cristobal hiring the right guy and making a home run hire because he's not going to put himself in a corner or just one category of coach. And he's going to find the best coach and then adapt his staff to that, that best situation out there. Like maybe you find somebody that that's really good and coaches D line, but he specializes with edge rushers and it's like, okay, well, in a three, four defense, the D end and the outside linebacker edge rush guys are basically the same guy. Like, Maybe we, maybe, you know, the, the naming of his position is different, but the terminology is the same. I could see, I could see, it'll be interesting to see how that part plays out too, Matt, in terms of just the, the main breakdown of how these responsibilities come together. I could see, and some of this is going to be entirely dependent upon what the scheme looks like too. Like Oregon has traditionally had three linemen with their hand down, you know, the stud position, the duck position before that were kind of extensions of a down lineman, but a hybrid position. Maybe we see a traditional four down, maybe they go four, three or something like that. And in doing that, you want to have an interior defensive line coach and, you know, a defensive ends coach or something. I mean, you can see this go, I personally, I would say I would be in the camp of like, I think personnel wise, it would make more sense based upon what you have returning to play more linebackers and down linemen just based upon the personnel. But like wherever you settle, I could see there being some creativity in terms of the makeup of not just the defensive coordinator, but also the staff around them. And then that's just kind of the way this works. And, and I would not be surprised. It's going to come down to whoever the best hire in Mario Cristobal's mind is, and, and they'll get creative and kind of make all the, the puzzle pieces fit into place once that decision is made. Let's transition now to on the roster from a, from a player makeup. Um, And real quick, we should note this real quick before we turn the tide here. Um, Derek Ansley being included on the list is interesting because uh, he's currently under investigation (laughs) for, for some defensive recruiting, right? Like that certainly is uh, an interesting name. (laughs) <laughs> to to be throwing out there where uh, there's a lot of stuff um, going on with the Tennessee program in terms of uh, some recruiting violations being done. And whether we know he's – we don't know what his status is there, but he's reportedly been involved in some capacity. We don't know if it's, hey, he's just been interviewed to corroborate – someone else's reasonings or, or um, if he's actually being accused of these violations, but he's been wrapped up and linked to investigation though. <laughs> That's a non-starter for me, but Hey, I, uh, I, again, I don't know all the details, but it seems like you probably don't want to bring in somebody who has that kind of baggage um, unless you have full confidence that he's, he's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that he's kind of in the clear and that this is just optically worse than, than in what it is in reality. Because the last thing you want, period, is just to, to have somebody who comes in with uh, some sort of background where they even, even if even if you're not concerned that those things are going to be something that continues, the last thing you want is the NCAA keeping like an extra extra little bit of an eye out going like, well, this guy has a history of doing some shady stuff. 
because I just think that potentially is, is a good cause for concern. So that's a that's a good catch there, Matt, in terms of like eh, maybe maybe that's a name that that makes a little less sense. All right, let's look at um, projecting the two D on both sides of the football here for a second. Let's start with the defensive side of the ball. Um, this could be a little bit tricky to 100% predict because the defense could change. Yeah. But nonetheless, we're operating under the assumption that Oregon's not going to go through a whole sale change along the D line. There'll be some scheme changes. I'm sure. No doubt. Sure. But they're not going to all of a sudden go to a, a four, three when they don't have the personnel to do that. They might go to some kind of hybrid or they might have some sub package, but it would be pretty shocking to see them all of a sudden just flip the script. But looking at this group, defensive line, we know that Christian Williams – or Christian Williams. Uh, we know that uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is back and is probably, safe to say, Eric, the best player on Oregon's team in 2021. Yeah, no arguments. He has to be. And he's, he, was, he was an Army – you know, McDon- he's an Army – National All-American. I had a hard time saying that for some reason, but he was an AP All-American. He was a first-team All-Pac-12 player. Um, I don't think there's any question that Kayvon Thibodeau enters 2021 as the best player on your roster and I mean, legitimately probably the favorite to be Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. And I think if he has the season, we expect he could. A, um, a first-team All-American and, and I think probably a top two or three draft pick. I, I just think 2021 is going to be his swan song and, and he is undoubtedly the most talented player Oregon's got. And that was what he was when he entered. And he has not disappointed, even though some would point to some statistics being, I guess, a little underwhelming at times in 2020. Uh, personally, I thought he was really impressive and disruptive throughout too, though. They do lose Jordan Scott, Austin Folio. That's where things get interesting of who replaces them and kind of the roster makeup to have the depth there, right? Yeah. And this is where it's kind of interesting. Um, I think, I was it was notable when I was looking through kind of the last couple of games and, and kind of what the rotations looked like that Christian Williams not only started over Jordan Scott at nose tackle, but also Popo Amave. Um or Amavai. I think it kind of had felt like Popo was the expected heir apparent for Jordan Scott and for Christian Williams to kind of jump him, I think it was notable. So I, I enter spring thinking those two are certainly in a position battle for that spot but I'm giving Christian Williams a little bit of the upper hand just because of who was starting at the end of the season I think the other end spot and again this is some of this is dependent upon what the form you know scheme and formations look like in 2021 based upon the coordinating hire but assuming that there is a traditional um, defensive end on the other side the strong side I think Brandon Dorless pretty clearly was Oregon's second best defensive lineman last season Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's pretty clearly the top guy at that spot. I think the depth becomes more of an issue at the edge. Like, I just don't know who who those guys are, to be honest with you. Like, I put Braden Swinson in there, and I have Keon War Hudson in there, but that's just because those are the only two guys who played. Everyone else is either a true freshman or players that didn't play last year or even a Jalen Smith who was playing offensive line last year. So, like, it, I mean, that the what happens at – behind Kayvon Thibodeau and Brandon Dorless is like, to me, kind of up in the air. I really don't have a clear idea, but I went with the two guys who at least played in 2020. 
I think for me, <clears throat> the, the glaring issue along the D line is I, I do think there is some depth concerns here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you do need to find some guys to develop a little bit and to be ready to play. Um, I'm with you that Dorless is probably their second best defensive lineman. Um, I probably would have your nose tackle flipped Popo and Christian, but I also could understand why you would put Christian there. Um, the thing I look at this group though, the most and say, they need another, they need another rusher. They need another guy. I don't know if that's Swinson. It could be, but they need another guy that's going to pull off the edge and be a terror. And I think there's, it's unfair to say there's not another cave on Thibodeau on this roster, but I don't think there's even anyone close in terms of his ability to disrupt the offensive line off the edge. I don't think there's a guy that's even like a tier below him on no. this roster right now. And that's, that needs to be either be developed or they need to find a transfer that, or some kind of guy that's out there. That's a junior college guy to come in and help in that regard. Yeah, I wrote that. I just, I just think you look at this and they, th- this is a group that badly needs more additions in whatever, whether it's transfer portal, whether it's junior college, whether it's a true freshman, I mean, whether if it's, a, I don't know, I mean, JTT, if, that, if that's something that's even possible anymore, but like, I, I, I go, this is a group that really needs some more bodies and some, I think some older guys would be, I mean, if you're not going to get, you know, <laughs> the number one overall player in the country, um, and JT to Malau, like if that's off the table, which I'm not purporting it is, but it, the indications right now is that Oregon's maybe second or third at best. Yeah. If that's not happening, I mean, he's a game changer and, and obviously that would completely change the complexion here. And you probably have him slotted as a potential starter, even over a Brandon Dorless, or at least somebody who could compete for that. I think you go to, I think it's, I think it's imperative you go and find one to two more players. The reality is based upon how Oregon listed their 2021 signees on signing day in December, Keanu Williams was the only player listed as a defensive lineman. Terrell Tillman, who in the database is listed as a defensive end was listed as an outside linebacker. So like they, they need to find some bodies here. And I think Braden Swinson showed some stuff towards the end of the season. I thought Brandon Dorr listed as well. And maybe, maybe the, maybe what ends up being the remedy here is you have, somebody else fill in as Austin Folio's replacement at that defensive end spot. Maybe a Jason Jones, maybe a Masiala Facey, maybe it's Keonwar Hudson. And you have Brandon Dorless kind of playing, you know, behind Thibodeau a little bit more or something. But I think you don't want to take your two best defensive linemen off the field as much as you can. Maybe, maybe we see more of Thibodeau. Um, you know, he was listed as the number one Sam linebacker. Maybe you have him standing a little bit more off the edge. You know, I think there's creative ways to do this, but I'm with you, Matt. I mean, this was a defense, and I posted a story earlier in the week of my the stats that were most surprising. This was a defense that was one of the most disruptive from a sack perspective in the entire country in 2019 and was one of the worst in 2020, and you had a team that features arguably the best pass rusher in the entire country in Thibodeau. He needs help, and whether you manufacture that with scheme or personnel – remains to be seen, but something needs to change. And to me, it's like you've got to find at least one or two of these guys who can really be an impact p- player on passing downs because outside of Thibodeau, and I think Dorless was probably your second best pass rusher, especially at the end of the season, there just wasn't a whole lot of that out behind Thibodeau. There just really wasn't. 
All right, let's look at the second level and the third level of this defense, linebackers and the secondary. Um, linebacker, I look at this and think this is probably going to be the deepest unit and one that has probably the largest collection of talent. I also kind of wonder, like, there's a lot of guys that are on this depth chart, and I wonder – do they have too many linebackers from just a roster perspective? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I was slacking with you and Kevin when I was putting this together going like, how do you have like almost twice as many linebackers as you do defensive linemen? And they have more linebackers, and it's only three positions that have been on the field. They have more linebackers than they do defensive backs right now. Um, you know, and, and it's, hey, like, you know, this, this, could, this could fit perfectly into a defense next year, which, which maybe goes for linebackers, which maybe even has, you know, sets where they have five. But I look at it and go, like, you've got three guys coming back who I think are pretty clearly starting in Slade, Matatias, Sewell, and Funa. Like, I don't think any of those guys are going to be pushed off that top line. I guess you could see maybe a Justin Flo really make some improvements here and push for a spot, but, like, like, I don't think any of those top guys – like, are you taking Isaac Slaymato-Atia off the first line to replace him with Flo? Like, unless there's some significant changes from what the responsibilities from those positions are, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. So my argument would be no. So, like, I think those three guys are there. But, like, after that, like, legitimately, like, I, here are players I don't even have in the two deep. I don't have Sam Sanu in the two deep. I don't have Adrian Jackson in the two deep. Um, I don't have Jackson LaDuke in the two deep. I don't have Keith Brown, a really highly regarded true freshman or Jonathan Flo, Justin's brother, in the two deep. I mean, there's like six guys I don't even have in the two deep who are really good. So, like, it's almost like the depth is almost, like, I don't want to say problematic, but it's just crazy. Some of the guys that I don't even think are in the two deep, and you kind of go, can you really carry 18 linebackers? or seven? I think it's 17. Like, can you really carry that many? Like, do you, do you need that many? Um, you know, and, and we don't know what's going to happen with Samson new. I have him included here. Cause we just haven't heard anything officially. Like he may not rejoin the team, but like, I, I think this is a position group where you almost have too many bodies unless you're going to switch it up and play four linebackers almost every down. Um, I almost think that some of those person, like there needs to be almost some roster turnover. I don't want to call for anybody to leave the team, but you bring in five true freshman linebackers to a group that was already really deep. Um, and a lot of these guys are going to be freshmen in, 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 you know, like over half the 17 are freshmen is the thing. If you, if you know, using the NCAA rules, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, Isaac Townsend, Trevin Mai, Jackson LaDuke, Jaden Navarrete, Keith Brown, Brandon Buckner, Justin, Jonathan Flo, Jabril McNeil, and Terrell Tillman are all freshmen. <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> 10 freshman linebackers. Like when you, it's just the numbers, it, the numbers are, are crazy. And it's, it's almost inconceivable that we don't see some, some turnover here or players changing positions at some point in their career. Cause just the numbers are real wonky. I mean, Townsend, my Buckner and Tillman are all defensive linemen at the high school level that are playing outside linebacker positions at the collegiate level. I think Jabril McNeil too. Um, so you look at this and think they've got to have some kind of um, awesome folio too. He, he showed up as a D end and then was moved to the stud outside linebacker position. Um, it is interesting. It is something that's going to have to be addressed here. Um, 
on that side of things real quick, uh, because we need to move to the offensive side of the ball, cornerbacks, safeties, I guess, just what, what stood out to you most here? I think the lack of proven depth, especially at corner, I look at corner and go like, cause like in safety, you, like legitimately, I feel like you've got four or five capable bodies there. I mean, you've got Jamal Hill, Verone McKinley, uh, Jordan Happel, Bennett Williams, like all Steven Stevens, even like there's, there's six guys. That I'm like, okay, those guys we think can all play at a decently high level. And some people would argue about a couple of those players and maybe he'll think is highly, I look at corner and I'm like, you got one and a half guys. I feel decent about right now. And that's Mikhail Wright. So who's a first team all conference player. He is undoubtedly going to be, if not the best, one of the best corners in the conference in 2021. So you feel good there. DJ James, like he's had moments, like I think he can be good, but he's also had moments where he hasn't been impressive. And then the wild card is Dante Manning, who was the five-star recruit, highest rated defensive back recruit in program history. Um, He needs to be, he needs to be good. And like, even if, even if you just say you've got three corners, who's your fourth corner? I mean, is it, is it Jalen Davies, a true freshman? Is it Darren Barkins, a true freshman? Or is it tra- getting to Darius Perkins is so important. It's almost a necessity. To, if you don't add Perkins, you got to find at least one or two more here. Because I go, linebackers got like 15 guys not in the two deep. <laughs> Cornerback, I look at it and go like, after you, like my two deep is Mikhail Wright, Dante Manning, DJ James, Jalen Davies. The other candidates right now, Triquist Bridges, J.R. Waters, who's a converted wide receiver, and Darren Barkins. I mean, it, it, I, I think this is a position group that is legitimately concerning, just not just because or not because I don't think there's talent here. Like Mikhail Wright and Dante Manning and DJ James and probably J- Jalen Davies are probably all going to be NFL corners. But like, what about after that? And we haven't even seen Manning or Jalen Davies play a snap at Oregon yet. And Triquez Bridges has been here for a minute. We haven't seen him play. And J.R. Waters is playing receiver until the second half of 2019 or 2020. So um, it's a position group that, if honestly, if there's a position group on the entire team that I am most concerned with, it's probably corner. Um, especially on defense. Maybe not an entire team, but corner. I think actually probably the entire team aside from quarterback. Like I look at corner and go like, I think you got one really good player. And then I just don't know how the rest of it sorts out. Like I, I think you, ha- if you look on the defense in particular and you just look at the depth, it's like, boy, um, they really, really could use an addition or two here, especially an older guy. Okay. Let's flip over to the offensive side of the football. Um, dominating discussion all year all off season and then into training camp it's going to be quarterback right like yep like this is going to be the discussion probably of the entire program unfortunately if you're looking for storylines like this is going to dominate the airwaves um and kind of honestly like i'm excited to see it play out but at the same time kind of honestly kind of already tired of the you know is it tyler shuck is it ty thompson or is it anthony brown or someone else yeah, I don't, and I don't have much new to provide to this. I have Shuck at the it's QB one and Thompson QB two, but it's with the caveat of like, who the hell knows? <laughs> like, like Shuck should at least enter camp as the first the quarterback working with the first team. I have no idea if he's going to end camp that way, and I have no idea who's going to start fall camp that way. And I was talking about spring when I say camp at the beginning there. Like Shuck should enter spring working with the first team. I don't know if by the spring game that'll be the case, and I have no idea what we'll see in fall. And the other part is, again, we talked about this, and I want to move on to other position groups because there's just we've really, we've we've almost over discussed, like Matt is saying, there's like a certain level of fatigue here before we even started fall or spring camp. 
we also just don't know who else is going to be on the roster. Like, is, what's Anthony Brown do? Do any of Kale Mill and Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford take off? I would think Butterfield is somebody who we've heard so much positivity about. It would be kind of weird if he left. But Kale Mellon was playing special teams by the end of the year, and Robbie Ashford's a baseball guy. So I could see any of those three guys not even on the team. And I think the, the other reality is, like, Tyler Shuck has said he'll be on the team. But I think you can't, you know, rule out the possibility that, he's just kind of fed up and frustrated with the way things played out or, you know, done the back end of the season. I'm not reporting. This is just hypothetical and that he's somebody that maybe even is eyeing kind of moving around. So I, this position group is, could not be less like this is, I said, corners, the one I feel the worst about that's just because of proven depth, but like quarterbacks, the one where really it's almost impossible. You could probably put like four oars on here. Um, and that would maybe be the most accurate way to represent it at this point. Again, I have shuck over Thompson, but the confidence level is not great. Running back, this is one I think that is going to be difficult to justify telling a three-year starter in C.J. Verdell that he needs to win his job or that a, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a guy in Travis Dye who's been a, you know, a quasi-starter all three of his years that, hey, you need to fight for being the primary backup. But at the same time, reality is you kind of think that they need to open the job up maybe. Like, I don't know if Verdell definitely needs to be replaced, but I do think over the last three years, I wonder, is there some, you know, can can they deploy their talent in a different manner? I don't know if that's replacing Verdell or replacing Die or replacing Cyrus, but at the same time, they've not been elite. I'll say that for various reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Things that they control and things that they can't. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to rip CJ for being hurt all the time, but the reality is CJ has been hurt all the time. And I don't want to rip Travis die for being undersized and fumbling a lot, but he's undersized and he's fumbled a lot. And I don't want to rip Cyrus to for being basically this last season, kind of a goal line back and that only, but he's basically been a goal line back and that only. So, and like the reality is, and, you see this at every position group. There's always a couple of young, exciting players that people want to see more of. And Sean DeHollers, Trey Benson, and Seven McGee certainly check those boxes. Two of those are four-star guys. Trey Benson, borderline four-star running back. Um, you know, McGee is incredibly explosive. Dollars looked great against USC. Benson is about as big of a running back. Oregon's how we should note Javon Wilson has transferred, so he's not with this group anymore. But this is one where I've got Verdell and Travis Dye with an oar on the top line. I think if Verdell's fully healthy, you give him the job, but Travis Dye is, deserves to kind of at least be in the discussion. And those two guys probably enter spring and fall, I guess, as the one and two. But, I mean, I'm, I'm at the point here with you, Matt, and I think a lot of Oregon fans are too, of I'd love to see one of these young freshman running backs at least given a shot, if not to totally take over and be the lead back, but to at least at least carry a bigger role. Because we've seen Verdell and we've seen Die and we've seen a BB Lee kill. This would be their fourth season, basically, is that being the three-headed monster at running back. And it's not like the production's been incredible. I, I think you get to a point here where you go, you know what you've got there. It's worth at least experimenting and seeing what some of these younger guys can provide. And I think you've got, again, I think a trio of guys that are really exciting in Dollars, Benson, and McGee but we just haven't really seen those dudes play. And I'd love to see at least one of those guys given eight to 10 reps per game early in the season, just to see what they've gotten. Of course, if the game's not competitive, maybe you, you give them more 
you know, and just to kind of figure it out. But I think that that's a shift I would like to see personally. I'd like, I'd like, I'm with you. I'd like to see a little bit more of some of these younger guys playing just because we've, we know what they've got from the other three guys and they're fairly limited. And we, and look, we're not at practice this year. And so maybe at practice, um, Sean dollars and Trey Benson and whoever else, you know, Javon Wilson was on the roster this year. He's no longer there, but during the year, maybe those three guys, it was just, they could not practice at a consistent clip where Oregon staff could not trust to play. Maybe that's, maybe that's an issue. Maybe, you know, one of those three guys, every practice was fumbling the ball in games or in, in practice during drills. And it was, you know what? Like we think you guys could do good, but in practice you're not consistently playing well and we can't trust you in games. So we're going to roll with what, you know, the veteran guys. And, I, and we need to say, and you're with me too here. I know this, that, yeah. that we like Verdell, we like die and we like uh, Cyrus as guys, but just the, the sheer production over a three-year period for things that they can't control, fumbling issues, missing holes, missing blocks on pass protection, things that they can't really, you know, control getting hurt, um, being unavailable for other reasons. Like all that needs to factor in. And when you factor all that stuff in, I think there could be more out of the running back spot. And if it's because dollars and Benson and, and, and Javon Wilson simply just weren't good enough and you couldn't find somebody to really elevate the room. Well, you've had three years, four years now to, find other running backs and you can't. And that opens up a, a Pandora's box of, well, if it's not the players because fault, because you can't find you know better players to, to, to elevate the room, then that becomes a coaching issue. And it kind of goes down a rabbit hole. We, I don't think we were prepared to, to discuss, but that's yeah. kind of where we're at um, with this running back. Production needs to go up. Does. doesn't matter who it comes from. It needs to go up. Um, offensive line, I, let's spend a little bit of time here before we move to tight end and receiver. Um, offensive line feels like a lot like what we were going into this past season in 2020. Basically, every job is up for grabs for me, except for center. Yeah, I, so I, here's how, here's where I'm at, and it's it's complicated by the fact that we don't know exactly what George Moore's availability is, if he wants to come back or not. And I think we should know it. It's interesting that we're now midway through the month of, of January and there's still, and we'll get to this more at receiver as well. There's still a, 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 several guys that could in theory come back for fifth, you know, or extra senior years. George Moore would be his sixth year of collegiate eligibility. Mm-hmm. If he chose to take it, we'll talk about receiver in a second with John Johnson and Jalen red. Those guys haven't as of recording this podcast, made a determination. So that does add some kind of mystery to some of this. That adds a little extra element, but like assuming George Moore does come back, you would have all five of your starters back and you would have all six of your six man rotation back. But then you're also throwing in Kingsley Suomatia and a bunch of really highly regarded true freshmen, an extra year with some highly regarded uh, red shirt freshmen and red shirt sophomores. So um, I'm with you, man. I think this is a really, it's kind of a mess. Like I wrote, it's a mess to parse through because you're really, I think I could see a scenario where they literally just run it back and you go, okay, George Moore, TJ Bass, Alex Forsyth, Brian Walk, um, Big Sala, there's your starting five left to right. And we're just going to roll with it. But I can also see a scenario where you get creative here and say, Alex Forsyth is your center. TJ Bass is your left guard and you have to start Big Sala at either right guard or right tackle. But everything else is kind of open. 
Um, and you, I, you know, I, I, and this is where I've got a bunch of ors here because I could see Kingsley Sumatia being a left tackle or Stephen Jones being a left tackle if George Moore doesn't return. And if that's the case, Stephen Jones, then what, what does he do? Like to me, and again, I, I, I think, the, I think that the big, you know, the, the, the tough part here is like, it almost feels like your most talented guys are guys that you think are best suited to play tackle. And I don't want to be disrespectful to Ryan Watt because it was a great story and clearly he deserved the position he got. But part of me thinks like, could Oregon be best suited if you have big Saul at right guard and Steven Jones at right tackle and then Kingsley Suamatia maybe at left tackle. Like maybe that's your best five. Cause I think TJ Bass and Forsyth and big Sala all are deserving of another year of starting. It's just, what do you do then at left tackle at right guard and right tackle? How all does that kind of sort out? And it's crazy to think about. It's a lot. And then it gets even more complicated when you get to the depth component here, because Oregon really just played six guys all season. And you've got some notable players here, Jackson light, another true freshman, big time center prospect. Does he come in and become a backup center right away? What about some of these young freshmen and sophomores like a Dawson Yoramillo or a Logan Sagapalu or a Marcus Harper or a Jonah Toyanu or a Jonathan Dennis? There's a bunch of them. Um, what are those guys factor in? Like, I don't think most of those guys I just ran through are going to start, but like they're depth pieces and how does that come together? So I think offensive line is, is it one of those position groups kind of like linebacker where you've got a ton of bodies? I mean, you're talking about, this is the position group with the most, you know, the most players on it makes sense. You start five, you need to have, you know, at least two to three to four per position. Um, you also have a Christopher Rondazzo of like, does he come back? He wasn't with the program this year. The indications when he left was he would return. But like, I just look at this and go, I, I think Oregon is going to have the depth here, but it's really, again, going to enter, like you said, Matt, you're going to enter spring here where I, I probably think there are three guys who are kind of put in Sharpie that they're going to be starters rather than just Forsyth. But I go, I don't know exactly where they're all starting. And then the other spots to me, despite having all the starters return, I don't feel like anyone's, I don't think it's all, I don't think all those guys are locked in stone as starters. I'll put it that way. A receiver and tight end. Um, this is one in which, it's a, it's going to be an, a very important off season for a lot of guys because of who's coming into the program. And in particular at the receiver spot, two guys that we're waiting a decision on could really alter the entire shape of the receiver group. And that's Johnny Johnson and Jalen red and what they do. Um, do they return for a fifth year at Oregon and a red shirt senior year de facto type type year or do they move on or does both of them or does one of them come back I think that would really those two decisions will really kind of shape the receiver spot and what goes forward you've got them included in the two deep yeah um, both starting Pittman being the other starter um, guys like Delgado Hudson Crocker Will Hoyt Addison um Waters, Addison and Waters moved to DB at the end of the year because of injuries. Um, you do wonder though, but for Hudson, Delgado, Crocker, Wilhoit, Waters, and Addison, 
this is a this is a pivotal offseason for them because of the additions of Troy Franklin and Isaiah Bravard and Dante Thornton, the development of Devin Williams, um, it's one in which it could be a, hey, if you're not going to do it now, it might not ever happen here. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think the, you, you're, you're at a crossroads, and for a couple of these guys, it's just it seems pretty likely that it's just not going to – I mean, Isaiah Crocker, this will be his fourth year at the program, and I don't know. Mike, he was a highly regarded recruit. I remember watching him at the opening a while ago and thinking he was going to be someone who could – really be an impact guy. I think he was like one of my breakout players uh, during his freshman year, a couple of years ago. That tells you how accurate those are. And uh, he just has never seen the field. Um, and Jared Waters, I felt this would be his third year. I felt the same way about him and Lance Wilhoit. Like these are highly regarded, talented kids. And to the bigger point here, like in terms of just projecting the depth and I, cause I do agree with you, Matt, like kind of like linebacker, you almost got too many bodies here. And at some point, some of these guys are, are going to have to leave. They're just, you know, only three to four of them are on the field at once. And you really only need six to, you know, really five to seven to eight, maybe in a rotation, anything past that's more And Oregon's carrying, you know, about 12 guys right now. And I'm not even including waters and Addison. Cause I have both of them on defense, but like I go, um, it's really, you're right. I think your point about Johnson and red, that really kind of is, is, is what's going to form and shape this group here because if both come back, they're both starters. And then you have, I think, Pittman and Williams kind of really competing for the other starting spot. Those guys were both battling all season. Those guys both showed this season that they're capable. But if both of them go, I think it becomes pretty clear. And I think if both of them go, my prediction would be you'd have Devin Williams at one outside receiver. You'd have Micah Pittman in the slot. And then you'd have one of Troy Franklin or Dante Thornton at outside receiver. And then you've got backups. Got, got back, you know, backups would be guys like Chris Hudson. Um, Isaiah Brevard and Isaiah, you know, and uh, and Lance Wilhoit possibly kind of shadowing those guys on the outside, and Chris Hudson probably in the slot. But like I, I go, you know, it's it's really hard to predict not knowing what those two guys are doing, and I'm sure Oregon staff would love to have them back, but probably also part of them is like we'd love to see some of these young guys get more opportunities sooner than later because the reality is the ceiling for a Troy Franklin or a Dante Thornton is really, really, really high. And not that it would be a wasted year, but their ability to see the field would be diminished by those players' return. So I think it's kind of a catch-22 here for Oregon in terms of, of those two guys' decision to return because it really does, I think, center the entire conversation is what do those guys do? Cause if they come back, they're going to play a lot. I, I just, you don't, you know, you, I would be stunned if you bring back Johnny Johnson, the third and Jalen red. And in 2021, they're playing, you know, the fifth or sixth most snaps at receiver. They're going to be up there in terms of the, you know, the opportunity they're given. Tight end. Um, this could go in a whole bunch of different directions. I feel sure like. could like <laughs> a lot like what we saw in 2020 um, kind of surprised that Hunter camp Moyer, elected to leave the program as a senior. Um, he had the option to return, but Hey, look, you know, I've been there. Sometimes you're just done with school and, and sometimes, you know, you, you, you have the confidence in yourself that, you know what, I think I can go and make a roster. I think I could, I could make money playing football uh, or, or maybe, I mean, we don't know, maybe he's just done playing football and he's going to give a chance to go pro. And if that doesn't work out, he's prepared to, to move on and to live his life in a professional manner. Uh, in a in a different in a non football field, we don't know. 
And so I can respect that decision too. And, and if that was the case, um, but a little surprising that he didn't come back, but DJ Johnson will be a junior. Uh, Spencer Webb will be a sophomore. He lost basically the entire 2020 year due to a broken collarbone. Um, McCormick, while never played a down in 2020, he will still be senior, sophomore, whatever you want to define him as. <laughs> Ross um, is a senior, but it, I think he could get a lot of years if you wanted Yes. It. And then Herbert never dressed, uh, was never even seen at a game. I don't, I don't believe, right? Like we never even saw him on the sidelines. Um, yeah, something's going and, on there. In all of 2020. Uh, and now a bunch of freshmen are coming into the mix as well. Two freshmen, Matavo and Ferguson. Going to be interesting to see this one play out. It, it wouldn't be surprising where DJ Johnson and Spencer Webb and, and I'll throw in Cam McCormick are the three guys that get a lot of the reps. And it wouldn't be surprising either if two freshmen are, are dominating the reps at the tight end spot. Yeah, the pulse here is really hard because the reality is DJ Johnson's the only one that like basically played at all in 2020 from this entire group. Spencer Webb, I think, played a little bit against USC, and I hate to say it, though my defining memory of Spencer Webb was him missing a block against USC that if he would have hit it, he would have it would have extended a drive. So um, he didn't have a single target all year. He barely played. That was the only game he appeared in. DJ Johnson, I thought, looked good when he was out there, but you know, I don't think it's it's hard to argue that he is. I've got Johnson and, and Webb as my one, two on the two deep prediction, but like, it's really hard to go out and say DJ Johnson is for sure the guy. Cause we just have literally not seen Spencer Webb, Cam McCormick or Patrick Herbert in a full calendar year. We haven't seen Herbert or McCormick basically at all at, or, you know, for a while McCormick just missed his third full season. And then you've got a couple freshmen who are two of, I wrote this down here. Matavaho is the second highest rated tight end signing in program history. And Ferguson's the fourth. So these are big time talents joining the joining the group here. So it's hard. It's really difficult. I, I my my gut is probably that Spencer Webb and DJ Johnson are should be at the top right now, but who knows? Maybe Cam McCormick can get fully healthy and can make contributions. I think Patrick Herbert to me, I have the lowest confidence level just because of his two years at Oregon with him actually making an impact, but maybe that's harsh and, and I don't know the whole story. But I, I think the the wild card is these two two true freshmen can one or two, both of them come in and be ready to make an impact. And if that's the case, are they good enough to actually supplant a couple of veteran guys? I, I think this group, I mean, you know, we talked about the defense and I think there's some pretty clear when we were running through it, pretty clear, like, okay, defensive line, these guys seem like they're in good spot. Linebacker feels completely set defensive back. The safety group is pretty clear corner. You got one that's pretty clear offense. It's like quarterbacks up for grabs running back. You feel like you got a pretty clear gauge. Receiver is going to come down to a couple of guys if they come back. Offensive line is all over the place, and tight end is the same thing. So offense for sure has, I think, the more, um, I guess, the variety of options for how it could go. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, a little bit longer of a show than expected, but, hey, that's what happens sometimes in the offseason. We get on some good tangents, some good discussion. Uh, make sure to, to give us a review on the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever you use. Please give us a review. That helps. Also, make sure to go and take advantage of that two-for-one uh, subscription promo, two months for $1, uh, and then $9.95 thereafter. That gets you inside access to all things Oregon Ducks, gets you on an online community of Duck fans that are pretty good and uh, pretty active as well. So you've been listening to the Otson Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.